0: Before we begin, I would just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to the land, waters and culture. I'd like to pay respects to their Elders past, present and emerging. (laughs) And welcome to the Livewire podcast. I'm your host Tristan LW and I've taken some time away from reorganizing my wardrobe to bring you this, the 34th episode. The Livewire podcast is for our online community of young people living with an illness or disability. It is a site where you can log in and share what's been happening in your world, connecting with other young people, participating in fun, interactive live streams and there's always some pretty great competitions going on. We're always very welcoming of new members, so if you are interested and a not get a member, do head along to www.livewire.org.au if you are in Australia, or www.livewire.org.nz if you are in New Zealand and you can create an account. This podcast is designed to keep you connected to Livewire wherever you may be. You could be travelling to school or uni, waiting around in the hospital, chatting along in the live wire chat room, or doing some online shopping for some cool new fashion trends. On this episode, the fantastic Tommy LW has a chat with Matthew Skerritt from Every Human, an NDIS company that provides adaptive clothing for people with illness and disability. I also jump into the vault and grab a past interview, uh, this time with cosplay builder Alt F4. But first, let's jump into the community roundup. It has been a stellar month on Livewire for June as we celebrated the theme of June-It-Yourself. All month, members have shared their amazing do-it-yourself instructions. We had some great recipes like Sophie H's cake in a cup, yum yum yum, as well as Mad's tasty brekkie tips. We also had a lot of crafty DIYs too, like Ocean Girl's homemade Guess Who game, which was pretty cool, and Dat Pink Rhino's clay donut it looked pretty amazing so there are loads of fantastic ways to keep yourself busy especially during school holidays just jump onto livewire and you can check out some of those do it yourself instructions on the website but a new month brings a new theme and for july we are celebrating the mid-year chill This time of year, it can be very hard to venture out into the cold, but it means it's a perfect time to brush up your skills on recycling and repurposing. This is where you get to make use of things in your own home that you might have otherwise thrown out and never thought of again. So what we're doing on Livewire this month is a reuse, recycle, repurpose competition. So what you need to do is create something useful and unique out of old items or items that would have otherwise been thrown out. First up, you need to figure out what you're going to make and make sure that it is something that you used recycled or repurposed materials. After you finish making the thing, take a picture of it. Post the picture on the Livewire news feed with a description of what you made and what you made it with and a little bit on how it can be used. And finally, just tag at LiveWireCompetitions and hashtag reuse, recycle, repurpose to be in the running for some pretty cool prizes. Uh, entries will be closing on the 31st of July. So get your entries in, have a bit of a think, and make some really cool, crafty things that you can use around the house. And if there's anything you've been working on you'd like to share on the LiveWire podcast, we'd love to get content from our members. You might be a bit musical and want to share a song that you've written or performed, or even if you've written a bit of an article and want to share that, I'm more than happy to include that in the podcast. All you have to do is send me a message on Livewire or email livewire at starlight.org.au.
1: Matt, thanks for joining me. It's great to have you on the Live Wire podcast. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about Every Human?
2: Yeah, so Every Human is uh, a, a marketplace uh, in Australia and New Zealand for adaptive clothing. Uh, and adaptive clothing, I'm sure we'll sort of go into it in a little, in a little bit more detail, but adaptive clothing uh, is designed to make the dressing process easier. So whether it's uh, due to mobility challenges uh, that people face, or or dexterity challenges, or even you know sensory friendly challenges, uh, is another sort of section within adaptive clothing. But it's really adaptive clothing is designed to assist people uh, in getting dressed who who face challenges.
1: What inspired you to start Every Human?
2: Yes, yeah, so I was I was working in professional services. Actually, I was working for uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers in in accounting, so a completely different (laughs) field. And then I moved into the family business which owns and operates uh, aged care facilities, and it was kind of here where I saw, you know, there's a real need. A reason that people move into aged care facilities is um, because of, you know, the need for assistance when dressing. And so that's why I came across the concept of adaptive clothing. And then I kind of dug into it in a little bit more detail and saw Really, there was nothing here in Australia um, in adaptive in the adaptive clothing market at all. But the US there was there was quite a few sort of um, brands in the adaptive clothing space. Uh, and on top of that, the adaptive clothing brands were actually focused on the younger younger market. There was more options for the younger market as opposed to adaptive clothing just being being for you know, the elderly. For me, I'm I'm a younger guy. I'm a younger dude, and I we. I was speaking to the parents uh, of people with disabilities and, and people with disabilities themselves. And they were just so passionate about needing something like this. And I'm kind of personally connected with providing adaptive clothing for the younger generation uh, on a personal level, which is why you know, our branding and, and marketing and product choices is all geared towards that younger market.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, having worked with young people myself for quite a while, it's something I haven't seen a lot of. Is it something that there's a bigger push for overseas at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think. Well, I think even globally, the adaptive clothing market is still well and truly in its infancy. In the U.S., there's uh, you've got Nike with an adaptive shoe or adaptive shoe range. You've got Tommy Hilfiger uh, with an adaptive clothing range, and they're the two big names that everyone knows that have actually moved into the adaptive space. There's a couple of other bigger brands, you know, like Billy Footwear, who we've now got on board here in Australia. But that's kind of, and there's, then there's a number of smaller players in the US. So I'd still say globally it's well and truly at the start of people recognising there's a need for it, but it's definitely more progress than what Australia is because really 12 months ago, there was not a whole lot out out there in Australia, if anything really.
1: With talking to people, what did you find they were crying out for? And in doing research, you know, what was lacking in the market that you really saw the need for?
2: Yeah, you know, there's this one story that really stood out to me and I, I kind of tell it to everyone who, who I speak to, you know, about what adaptive clothing is and, and the need for it. But, uh, you know, there was an example where a boy who was, you know, about 10 to 12 years old really wanted to wear, you know, fashionable sneakers as every teenager does but really because of his, uh, the challenges that he faced, he wasn't able to put a pair of sneakers or a pair of Converse on easily. So his mum was actually cutting slits in the sides of the con- pair of Converse, which was, it just made, made it easier for get, putting his shoes on. And so shoes were the big one that stood out to me. I was like, you know, there's so many people who struggle to put on shoes for various reasons, whether it's you know, a spinal cord injury and you know, the loss of movement challenges them from from a movement perspective or, you know, they wear AFOs, which are orthotics and, you know, requires a wider shoe. I think shoes were the real big one that sort of presented itself when when speaking to people and and parents and...
1: Yeah, I can can imagine that, like, that would be a big one. And, yeah, like, you're right, like, sneakers and teenagers especially. Um, Yeah.
2: I mean, (laughs) everyone should have, you know, who's 12 years old, should have... The ability to choose a sneaker that looks cool because that's yeah. what's important at that age. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it. And you know, they shouldn't have to be cutting slits in the sides of a pair of Converse so they can be yeah. something that, that works for them.
1: Yeah, 100%. We spoke briefly before the podcast about with what's going on at the moment around the world. That's been a challenge. But what other kind of challenges have you faced in setting up the business? Because I believe you started late last, we got it running late last year. Like how long was a lead up and what were the biggest challenges in getting it off the ground?
2: Yeah, I think for us, the biggest challenges were really educating people about what adaptive clothing is and, it, and continues. You know, we're still educating people about it. but. A lot of people, most of the people probably that we spoke to and, and are trying to talk to about and occupational therapists and they didn't even know about what adaptive clothing was and then secondly, how it could actually improve the quality of life for people who struggle to get dressed. And so that was a really big challenge in terms of that is a really big challenge and just it just takes time and and people have been dealing with and just making do with the options that have historically been out there but I think you know we're trying to educate people saying you know this can actually change your change your life and and make life easier and and less stressful and frustrating and I think that's that's probably the biggest challenge and something that just takes time.
1: Yeah how would you explain adaptive clothing which ends like
2: you no, know, I don't know anything about it. Adaptive clothing is holistically uh, designed to make the functional aspect of dressing easier. So it could be, you know, we've got clothing for people in the seated position or people who use wheelchairs. Uh, and you know, a pair of jeans, a normal pair of jeans will be designed for someone standing up most of the day, whereas you know, a pair of jeans that we've got on our on every human actually have a higher waist at the back so that it doesn't okay. you don't fall down at the back. There's no pockets so you don't get on the on your butt so you don't get pressure points, which is again when you're, when you're using a wheelchair an issue that sometimes presents itself. We've got button- down shirts with magnetic closures that actually replace buttons. so it reduces the need for people to do buttons uh, who have dexterity challenges. And we've got shoes which have a zip; that, they're amazing. The Billy Footwear shoes, which actually go all the way around the shoe uh, and open up, so someone can place their foot directly in in the uh, in the shoe without the need to sort of trying to squeeze your foot in. Uh, and there's no need to do laces, and it's just an amazing shoe, really. It's, it's an easy-on shoe, um, yeah. but it also supports AFOs and. They're probably the big ones. Sensory-friendly clothing is also, you know, for people with sensory processing challenges, that's another category of clothing which we don't yet have, but we will. And and that's just, you know, there's no tags, there's soft materials to address those challenges that people quite often have as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And Like, you know, I've, I've looked through the products and that, so I've seen it. Yeah, if someone didn't know about those clothing, that would be life-changing for, I could, I can think of, dozens of people that would be life-changing for things things that obviously other clothing companies really no one's thinking of like the pressure points in the jeans yep. and yeah that, that was amazing the shoes yeah they sound incredible yeah it'd be, it'll be yeah. really cool when you get the sensory stuff too, cause covering so many different needs amongst the community uh, which is yep. really really cool
2: i think what is really exciting about what sort of we're bringing to the table is that the clothes you know you think of adaptive clothing and People probably go, oh, it's probably really, you know, grotty and ugly and it looks different. And and the really cool thing is that it looks absolutely no different to a normal shirt or a normal pair of shoes or, you know, a normal pair of jeans. And and for me, that's really exciting. And it's really cool that brands are starting to recognize that the design doesn't have to be that different. There's just slight changes to, to make you know lives people's lives so much easier and, and, and comfortable
1: so what's the process like for sourcing the clothes that you guys sell in the marketplace uh, is there much involved in kinds of feedback from
2: customers we're constantly working with customers and and the and passing on that feedback to the brand saying you know some of our customers would like you know, this functionality or, or this and and people are so willing to say hey guys have you seen this sort of, or have you given this any thought? And that kind of desire you know, guides where we go in terms of a product offering as well. So all of our brands have either been designed by someone with lived experience and a disability themselves or in consultation with people with disabilities and, and who have faced those challenges themselves, which is really important that they actually get the advice uh, and consultation from those people with, with lived experience. It's... Otherwise, you know, brands who move into the adaptive space won't won't get it right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to tell me a bit about the uh, t-shirt for change?
2: Yeah, so we, um, yes, I mean, we have a we have a product offering in terms of you know offering adaptive clothing to to people in Australia, New Zealand. But for for me personally, and for us as a brand, we want to try and you know, tackle the bigger issues, tackle and break down barriers that, that are sometimes associated with, with disability. And so for us, we've launched a T-shirt for change campaign where we have three different T-shirts and, and three different organisations where 100% of the profits from from the sales of those T-shirts go towards organisations uh, who are breaking down barriers uh, in, the, in the disability space and there's some really cool not-for-profit organisations doing some amazing things. You know, one of, one of them is uh, Runway of Dreams and, and they're all about increasing representation on the runway for people with disabilities. And that's important to us as well. We really want to see more people, more representation, more people with disabilities in magazines and in, on TV and on the runway. And that's, that's really important to us and the other organization at the moment is is fighting chance who they build social enterprises tackling tackling big issues in the disability space as well but that's really something that i'm passionate about that that initiative the t-shirt for change initiative uh because yes we have an offering but we want to stand what well, we do stand for something a lot bigger as well yeah
1: absolutely one of the things that stands out when you're talking then you're saying we want to see more people, you know, you know different abilities on runways and yeah, you know, in fashion. You look at uh, the Every Human site, and I'm looking at people of, you know, different abilities. I'm like, I'd buy at shirt I'd buy a shirt. Like, <laughs> just it just doesn't matter. That's the coolest thing because, like, you now you've created a marketplace that is showing. Do you want to be fashionable? You want it cool? Want to feel good in what you're wearing? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what your situation is, and that's such a cool thing.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. We're trying to be, you know, as inclusive as possible. And we stand for inclusion, really. So it's really important that, you know, someone like yourself who's, who's seen this for the first time has that has that thought process. So that's, that's really cool to hear.
1: Absolutely, mate. Well, um, we might wrap this up. Uh, do you want to let people know how to get in touch and how to you know view all your products and that? Where can we find you online?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we're 100% online at the moment uh, in Australia and New Zealand. We ship to Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and our website is www.everyhuman.com.au. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Our tag is EveryHumanAU. Awesome, mate. Well, yeah, jump on,
1: guys, and check out EveryHuman. It's amazing. Thanks so much for joining me today, mate. Look forward to uh, yeah, checking out more of what you guys do going to the future. No doubt it's going to be something we see more of, I certainly hope.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Tommy. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm so delighted to welcome to the podcast, Steph, also known as Alt F4 Cosplay. She is currently the Victorian Cosplay Champion and will be competing uh, later this year at the Oz Comic Con Australian Championship. Steph, welcome to the Livewire Podcast. Thank you. For our members that might be new to the world of cosplay, can you just talk us through what cosplay is?
3: Cosplay is a cross between costume and play, so a lot of the time it's replicating costumes from video games or movies or anything really pop culture and then generally hanging out at conventions and doing a lot of photo shoots and just being awesome and all sorts. Can you tell us a bit
0: about yourself and how you got started in cosplay?
3: I started maybe just over five years ago. I've been a gamer pretty much my entire life. Uh, I saw my first cosplay, what's called a music video kind of thing, where they do a montage of all different costumes at conventions, and I saw the one from BlizzCon in like 2013 or something, and I'm like, how have I never seen this kind of thing before? This is amazing. So I kind of got started after that, making my first one, which was pretty terrible, but everyone's first one's pretty pretty much are because you don't really have any like skills or tools or anything. And then about two years in, I started competing in the championships, which I've done for four years now.
0: So you're a bit of a gamer to start off with. Have you got any favorite video games?
3: I mostly just play anything Blizzard. <laughs> so I play Warcraft pretty heavily. I'm into reading and all those kinds of things and I play a bit of Overwatch and stuff when I want to take a break from Warcraft, a little bit of Starcraft, a little bit of Diablo.
0: Um, now we got a few questions from our members. First one comes from Stacey who asks, where do you get your inspiration for your costumes?
3: So it can come from uh, a few different things, whether it's seeing someone else make the costume that I think, hey, I would love to own that kind of thing and wear it, looks like a whole lot of fun, or it could be... I need a challenge, so I'm going to find something really big that I haven't done before or something that requires more structure than just a human body. Or it might just come from the attitude of the actual character, like one of the characters from Overwatch, Brigitte, she's just got an amazing spirit and attitude, so... That alone inspires me to build her costume because I just love her so much, so I would love to recreate her.
0: Could you talk us through the the process that you go through from first coming up with an idea for a costume uh, and then stepping out onto stage in costume? How long does that usually take and, and what's the process involved?
3: So if I, if I know I'm competing in a championship the following year, over about three or four months, I'll grab uh, inspiration photos or characters and I'll build a folder on my computer of possible costumes to enter and then I spend a day with my husband and we sit in front of the computer and we cull down all of those characters to just one so I can decide which one looks the most impressive, which one has the most uh, different techniques used in it, which one do I think is feasible for me to make and afford to make and then after I've decided on the character I then go and I buy anything I might need from overseas because I can't guarantee that they'll be here within a month or two so things like wigs and... Undersuits or boots or something I might need that might take the longest to get here, I do first. And then I buy all of the materials that I need, so foams and glues and anything else I might need. I always start at the breastplate area because it becomes the structure for the entire build. Everything's straps to that, so I do that first, which kind of defines the way that I'm going to do everything else on the build. I then craft for maybe four months, depending on how intense the build is. Four to five months of building and painting and strapping and everything. And I try to be done a month before the comp so I can get my entry in on time. I then apply, and then within the week before the championship, you find out whether you've made it or not. So it's a lot of building with uncertainty of if this is all going to pay off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then a week week before I get my uh, application approved. And then on the day, it's a lot of stressing and no sleep the night before. But the day itself goes pretty fast and is a whole lot of fun, but it's a lot of work to get to that one day kind of thing. Probably about three, 400 hours of, of crafting.
0: Wow, that's uh, very time intensive. Is there a, a particular part of uh, building the costume that is the most time consuming?
3: Probably patterning because making things like dresses and whatnot, you can often buy patterns and alter them, but costumes are so different from each other that you don't have a reliable source to go to to just get a pattern for a breastplate or a shoulder. You have to build everything from scratch. So patterning takes the longest. Sometimes i don't get it right, so I have to do it three or four times before I get the result that I want. And uh, what's, uh, what's your most favorite
0: part of the build? What is, what is the thing that uh, you get the most joy out of it? What's your most favorite part of the build? What is, what is the thing that uh, you get the most joy out of it?
3: Once, once everything's built, I take it all into the garage, all the foam, and I prime it with like a, a rubber coating called PlastiDip. But once everything becomes that uniform black of the rubber, it all just kind of comes together in a way. And starts to look clean and starting to look finished and more like what it's supposed to be. And it's the most therapeutic for me because I'm done crafting. I'm done sanding. From there, it's just painting, which is pretty easy. So it's probably my favorite part of the build. That and the day of competing because it's just an exciting day.
0: What happens uh, uh, usually in a competition?
3: I usually turn up pretty early because I have to get dressed and suit up, which can take anywhere from half an hour to an hour as well as eating. And then at... 10 o'clock in the morning, we do pre-judging. So we go into a room with four of the judges sitting in front of us. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. They ask us a massive range of questions about where we got things, how we made things, what's our favorite part of it, things like that. They get to know us. They then get up and they inspect everything in our costume. So they'll check all your all your hems of your sewing. They'll check all your foam seams and your paint job and literally everything they'll go through with a fine-tooth comb. They say goodbye, and they judge everyone over a course of about an hour, hour and a half. And then we take maybe a three-hour break of just walking around the conventions. And that's when we have our stage show after that. So everything's judged on just the costume. We don't have any stage presence aspects in the judging, like a lot of cosplay competitions do. This is strictly just the costume. Obviously, it helps to have a positive attitude and everything like that, because judges love seeing that. And then we walk out on stage. We do our introduction. Show off everyone's costumes, and then they announce all of the winners so it's pretty nerve wracking being prejudged because it's you and generally four very very important people in the cosplay or movie side of aspect of of the world and so like we had our judges this year, one of them was one of the weapons designers from Game of Thrones and things like that yeah. Last year we had we had one of Australia's winners from a prior year as a as, as a backup judge because someone else had to pull it out. So I'm already pretty nervous when I walk in because I have so much respect for these judges and then they ask me questions and I get more nervous. But it's definitely fun and I look forward to it every year.
1: Uh, That sounds amazing.
0: Now one of our members, Guy Jess, asks, what's the most unusual material you've used in a costume or you've seen used in a costume?
3: Me, on my sister of battle, my big black suit of armour that I made, her backpack has a shower drain in it. (laughs) it It was just the closest-looking thing to the to the reference picture that I that I could find in Bunnings. It also has a show, shower hose on her neck, so I tend to apparently use a lot of plumbing uh, <laughs> in my cosplays, which is, for me, pretty strange but pretty handy because they often look very warhammer-y, which is which is where my cosplay came from. But, yeah, for me, that was probably the weirdest thing. A lot of the times you won't know if someone's used something weird because it just works so well. You don't really question it. Until so they tell you and you're like, well, that's strange. I would never have thought of that. But yeah, <laughs> a lot of the time if you just walk around Bunnings, you can probably find something that looks similar to what you need, regardless of its intended purpose. The whole, like, I always, I always notice that a lot of things with cosplay is using things for their unintended purpose, and I rarely use things for what they're actually designed for.
0: <laughs> so kind of uh, having an imaginative eye is is probably a, a bonus for cosplay. Uh, now, do you have a favourite costume that you've built?
3: Definitely my sister of battle the one that I uh, competed at the championships with, she's she came out perfect. She transitioned into cosplay so well, which can be very hard to figure out if a costume's going to do beforehand because you don't really know until after you've made it. Hey, that didn't, that didn't really come out as well as I expected, but this one came out amazing. I managed to build the fog machine by hand, which worked perfectly. She's really comfortable to wear, which is a huge deal because I spent about nine hours wearing her on that day. She got... A lot of recognition, a lot of people really love taking photos with her, and just seeing people smile when they see me makes me happy. So, a lot of like little kids lost it that they love, they just love the big suits of armor, and she looks really intimidating and mean, and that, yeah, she was probably the funnest to wear.
0: Nice. Uh, Now, it it sounds like uh, you wear these outfits for for such a long time, Uh, does it get really uncomfortable or is that uh, part of the process is making something that is uh, really comfortable to wear for such long hours?
3: I always try to consider, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this without being able to take it off. I try to always make sure my feet won't get sore, sometimes my neck gets sore because positioning of a lot of armoured collars can be a little strange or I won't realize that I'm holding my shoulders up in a certain way until the next day when they're incredibly sore. Like, I've I've worn a costume that had big shoulders, and because I was walking around at full convention, I didn't realize I was actually holding my shoulders towards my neck the entire time. But I didn't even realize until the next day when I'm like, hey, why am I in so much pain right now? I try to always put on a piece of armor after I've made it and make sure it's not digging in somewhere or is extremely tight or constricting me or... Anything like that, there's always going to be a little bit of uncomfortableness because wearing armour for nine hours is going to hurt pretty much regardless of how hard you try. I do my best to make sure I can go to the bathroom or reach my face. Like I've had costumes where I had a helmet a part of it, but I couldn't actually reach my head. So relying on other people to take my helmet on and off was becoming a very big deal after a few hours.
0: Do you have any advice for people starting out in cosplay or starting to build a costume?
3: Probably to do as much research as possible. There is so much online to help learn techniques and things like that. That was because there are classes you can do but nothing will teach you as much as how much content's on the internet right now for it. So there's so many YouTube channels, Patreons and Instagram accounts even with just the basic tutorials to get you started kind of thing and definitely researching the costume you're gonna make to see if someone's done it before see how they did it. Starting off with cheaper materials, then, because I use, right now, I use a pretty high quality foam, but it's four times the price of, say, foam foam floor mats from Bunnings, the kind that puzzle together. You can buy those for like packs of four for $12. They're a great way to start with foam smithing, because if you make a mistake, it doesn't turn out too expensive that you've wasted foam. Um, They're pretty durable. They can be a little bit full of holes sometimes, but, You can usually work around it. It makes you less afraid of making a mistake and having to throw out a material because I hate waste. So I hate when I make something and it didn't work. And I'm like, well, now I have to try to find a way to reuse this foam because I don't want to throw it out because it's extensive and it's a material and I don't want to fill my bin. Working with something really cheap to begin with, cheap silicon, cheap foam, makes everything less intimidating to make a mistake. And mistakes are such a huge part of cosplay because there's a good chance sometimes you're the first person that's ever tried to make a certain costume, so you're probably going to make a mistake because it's it's very hard to get it right the first time, and very few people do.
0: What other cosplayers out there do you admire? Do you have a favourite costume that you've seen someone else create?
3: Uh, the cosplayers that I have looked up to for the past four or five years is probably a husband and wife from Punished Props, Bill and Britt. They taught me a lot about the basics of making things out of foam and making suits of armour and strapping I've always loved Lightning Cosplay because she's very creative and her work is immaculate. And I would I strive to be like her every day. She does it for a living. She's incredibly talented. Um, And also Kamui Cosplay. She's another one that's very creative and her painting. Her partner paints incredibly well, and just everything they do seems so spot on every time. And they just get it right the first time, and it, it comes out amazing. And I just, they're just incredible. And I've always looked up to them. Favorite cosplay I've seen is probably uh, something that a guy from SKS Props built. He built an orc from Water Warcraft. But instead of just building the armor like most people would do, he went with upholstery foam and built the entire muscle suit underneath it as well. So he was eight feet tall and really wide and could walk around still, but he had the body of an orc underneath his armor. And it was probably something I want to strive to be able to build, something really big and impressive that takes a lot of different materials.
0: Now, there's uh, such a great collaborative community of cosplayers out there, uh, as well as a huge uh, fan base following. How have you found putting yourself and your creations out there online and the reactions you've gotten? It's probably one of the least scary
3: things to do with cosplay because the community is so accepting and different and we're not really we don't really shun anyone for something or other or not liking something or you can like whatever you want and you can make whatever you want and there'll always be someone who will appreciate it. The community is nothing but supportive and helpful and if you need to find something there will always be someone that will be offer ideas on how to do something. Like I'm part of a group on Facebook where just the other day I posted that I'm looking for something clear to put in a shield. And I received over 60 comments of just different ideas and places to buy things and different ways to do something. Because we all know when you start off, you just have no idea. You don't know how to do things or where to buy things. So everyone has be in that position and will offer help to someone in that position because they know what it was like to be there to not know where to get something or how to make something. So the, the the community all over the world is just incredible. I have I have friends that try to help me from different countries with ideas of products that they have things like that because it's just we're so inclusive and we're so different that we we kind of understand each other really really well. So any anyone that tries to be negative is gotten rid of pretty quickly because we just don't really have that Kind of thing, room for that in our community, you know. What
0: happens next for you
3: after my competition in Sydney? I'm not sure if I manage to get first place in Sydney at Oz Comic Con, I will be representing Australia in Chicago in March next year. If I don't win, then I'll probably like start building something the next day, just because. I can't not build. (laughs) As soon as I got home from my competition, I started building Brigida from Overwatch because I just I just need something to be making at all times and something to be thinking about, something to fill my head when I'm not doing anything.
0: Now, for our members who are interested in seeing some of your creations and uh, your work, where can they follow you?
3: I have an Instagram uh, altf4cosplay, and I have a Facebook page, which is also altf4cosplay
0: pretty easy all the best for your competition in Sydney we're all going to be reading for you and thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today
3: no thanks for having me
0: and that's about it for this episode of the live wire podcast a big thank you to Tommy and our special guest for this episode Matthew Skerritt Also, a big thank you to you for listening along. If there's anything you'd like to see included in future episodes of the Livewire podcast, any topics you would like covered or potential guests you'd like to hear from, just drop me a line on Livewire or email us at livewire at starlight.org.au. Always happy for your feedback as well, so send that through as well. Until next time, I'm Tristan LW and hope to chat to you soon on livewire.org.au.